Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Please grab your Bibles and open them with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We are continuing our series and study through the Gospel of Mark. In fact, last week we began chapter 10. We broke it up into two sections because it was kind of a long chapter, and we wanted to focus on a couple of things last week. And then today we're going to pick up that story. In fact, in these verses that we read this morning highlight really the purpose and and the theme of our series through the Gospel of Mark with Jesus being the servant Savior. And we are going to read in verse 45 how Jesus says of himself, I have come not to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so in these verses, the title of the message today is Servant of All because that really is what Jesus defines and describes as a life of significance and of greatness in the kingdom of heaven. He's going to do that for the disciples. He's also going to do that for us in modeling that through his life and ministry. And really the point that we want to remember today, just to kind of crystallize all that we're studying this morning into one phrase, is that high stature in heaven comes from low status on earth. It's kind of the opposite when we think about climbing the corporate ladder and the success. Basically, the question before us is, how does God measure success? And maybe our definition of success needs to be or is going to be redefined by reading these verses, especially as a Christ follower. Now, it's not bad to have positions where you have authority and, and, and power or titles even. But really what Jesus is talking about here is a heart attitude. Whereas the disciples in this chapter are looking for positions of authority to have recognition and glory for themselves, Jesus is saying the way to success and greatness in the kingdom of heaven is completely opposite. It's laying down our lives and serving others. So we're going to see this in three ways. One is Jesus is going to predict predict, excuse me, for the third time, his death, burial, and resurrection. Secondly, we're going to see two disciples that are going to seek a position of honor and authority from Jesus. And then thirdly and lastly, we're going to see a blind man petition Jesus for healing in his life. So a lot to get to. We're going to jump in and continue the story. In Mark chapter 10, verse 32, we read, Now they were on the road, that is Jesus and the disciples, going up to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is important because Jesus has been saying up until this point that it is in Jerusalem where the Son of Man or where Jesus was going to be betrayed and condemned. And so obviously the following verse says, and as Jesus was going before them, they were amazed and as well as they followed, they were afraid. Afraid because they didn't know what the future hold. And sometimes when you follow Jesus, you don't know exactly what's around the corner. But it's really good and important to have Jesus in front of you. Just follow right behind him. Don't get too far out ahead of Jesus. And don't get out of step with Jesus. And don't lag too far behind from Jesus. But just keep right in step with him. And if he's in front of you, then sometimes following Jesus may lead you into some uncertain situations. And you may be a bit fearful. But Jesus is with us through it all. So they're amazed, one, in the sense that he's going to Jerusalem. Because he's already said that in Jerusalem, he will be condemned and betrayed. 
And so we need to remember that no one took Jesus' life from him. He wasn't forced by the disciples. This wasn't some plan that they made up. He's, in fact, following the will of his heavenly Father. He willingly laid down his life. No one took his life from him. So he's going in the face of excruciating pain and suffering that he's going to encounter in Jerusalem through the crucifixion and the cross and the pain and the anguish. He's going to that knowing full well what he's going to experience. And they were afraid, and he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to them, to him, excuse me. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and scourge him, that is, beat him. They will spit on him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Now, it's important to remember that every time Jesus predicted his death, he also predicted his resurrection. And those two events are critical and important to understanding the gospel. Because the gospel is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But we're also told that the gospel being the good news reminds us of the bad news that every single human heart has the condition and the sickness of sin. For all have sinned, the Bible says, and fall short of the glory of God. And it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to his mercy that God saved us. So in the cross of Jesus Christ, we have this picture of excruciating pain and humiliation. But we also see that God demonstrated his own love towards us in this that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the cross is also a picture of extravagant love for you and I. And even though the disciples were afraid and uncertain about the future and what it would hold, Jesus offers them hope. He reminds them of the condemnation and of the suffering that he is going to experience. And that is because in the gospel we see that Jesus was sentenced to death to give the sinner life. Because if Jesus is condemned, what is he condemned for? He didn't commit any sin. He was sinless and pure and perfect. And uh, so he didn't deserve to be condemned to death. In fact, during his trial, the Roman government couldn't find anything to accuse him. And so the religious authorities made up all types of false accusations to bring against him. And the Roman authority said, you know what? You guys take a stab at this. We don't even want to, we don't even want to get into this because we see that you're condemning this man because you're a jealous and there's a lot of envy here. So if Jesus is pure and sinless, then why was he condemned? Well, that's the picture of the gospel, which is that you and I are condemned, that we deserve the condemnation that Jesus received upon the cross. It's the great exchange. That we were the ones that betrayed God. We were the ones that sinned against God. We were the ones that deserved the punishment. The wages of sin is death, or the punishment of sin is death and eternal separation from God. Listen, if there's going to be some good news, then there's got to be some bad news. And the bad news is really severe, which makes the good news even so much more brilliant, so much more bright, so much more beautiful. That Jesus was sentenced to death in our place so that we could have life. And Jesus always spoke of the resurrection because the glorious resurrection resolves the grievous crucifixion. The crucifixion is brutal pain and anguish and beating 
being pierced and hung on a tree through, through suffocation, not being able to even get another breath in his lungs. It was brutal. However, even though this was so grievous, it brought glorious redemption. In fact, the resurrection is the exclamation point upon the cross. It's the proof that Jesus is who he says he is. And it's proof that the payment and the penalty of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was sufficient in order to redeem you and I. In order to forgive us. In order to cleanse us. In order to make us back into right relationship with him. This is the purpose of Jesus' coming, and he mentions it multiple times in order for the disciples to be prepared, but also in order for us to see his love for you and I. Now, while Jesus is talking about sacrifice and service and giving his life, these disciples are thinking about glory for themselves. It's pretty interesting. Look at the story continues in verse 35. Then James and John... The sons of Zebedee came to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, if you're a parent, you might have had a child come to you this week and say, Mom, Dad, I want you to do for me whatever I ask. I know sometimes my kids do that. Now, as a parent, you probably are not going to answer that with a positive, right? Because they'll say to you, Well, Before I ask, mom or dad, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to ask for. But before I ask, I want you to do whatever I ask. And uh, we would would think that would be pretty ridiculous. We wouldn't do that for our kids. But notice the disciples go to Jesus and say, we want you to do for us. Now, I sense a bit of selfishness, a bit of pride, a bit of entitlement, even arrogance in this uh, question and phrase and that they're coming to Jesus. Now notice how Jesus responds. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? Just circle that phrase and just remember it because that exact phrase is going to come up, that question from Jesus is going to come up in just a few verses when Jesus encounters the man who was blind. He's going to say, what do you want me to do for you? And in that situation, you had a man who was broken, who needed the mercy and the compassion and the healing of God. Now, in this instance, we have these men who are looking for self-glory. And we know that because the continuing verses tell us, it really reminds us of their motives. And I think this question is important on a number of reasons. One is, in the context of what is happening between these disciples, this question reveals their intentions. It reveals their motives. It gives them an opportunity to verbalize what they're thinking and feeling internally. But I think in an extended application to us today, this same question could be asked of you by Jesus. Maybe you're going through a situation. Maybe you're going through a difficult time. And Earlier this morning as we were praying as a team, we were recognizing that even though we serve the Lord, we all encounter a lot of heartache and a lot of burden and a lot of pain. And we were encouraged to just lay those burdens down before the Lord. Oftentimes we come into places like this and we just are carrying so much heaviness and we just uh, are encouraged to lay them down. As Jesus says, if anyone is weary or heavy burdened in life, come to me and I will give you rest for your soul. However, the disciples are encountering what Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Maybe Jesus is saying that to you today. And you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to respond 
to the love and to the compassion and to the mercy of Jesus. Now, it's not for us to come to Jesus like he's a genie in a bottle and say, okay, Jesus, well, I have my three wishes and this is what I want you to do for me. Well, the Bible also says, in fact, Jesus says that if you pray anything according to his will, you will have it. So keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking as a good heavenly father is not going to give his child something that's going to harm them when they ask for something that they need in their lives. The same is true of Jesus in your situation right now. What do you need Jesus to do for you? However, they respond, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left hand in glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. So they said to him, we are able. And Jesus replied, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. Now Jesus is talking about the cup of suffering. Jesus is going to suffer just like these disciples are going to suffer. They're going to become martyrs. Those who give their lives for belief and faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, you will also be baptized with the same baptism. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it is for those to whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased, to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. For whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So a couple of thoughts here on Jesus' uh, really requirement and uh, secret to a great successful life in the kingdom of heaven. It goes against everything that we think about success. We may think acquiring things or obtaining stuff in life or a position or climbing the ladder is a picture of success. But in God's economy, great success is completely different. And we see these two disciples seek a position of honor from Jesus and they want him to do for for them whatever they ask. However, notice what Jesus says. He says and speaks of himself that he has come to serve, not to be served. And that's pretty remarkable because think about who Jesus is, the Son of God. God himself, actually, incarnate, taking on the form of a servant. Who is the one who should be served? That is Jesus. And Jesus would say in the other Gospels that I was among you as one who served. So we have this example of Jesus. However, this request that's coming from the disciples is really a picture into their heart and into their motive. And I think that oftentimes when given the opportunity, humanity will seek personal popularity. Is that not the case? Just within each and every single one of us, there is a potential to have some pride, to have some arrogance, and to desire a attention for ourselves but when you think about or even look at the pictures of the throne room of heaven that were given a couple pictures in the scriptures there is no attention on any one person when it comes to the throne room of heaven when it comes to the worship of God the attention is all upon Jesus Christ behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world all the attention is upon him and so the pursuit of prominence has no place in the presence of God Jesus is saying, I don't even have that authority to give to other people. 
But the point is, is not to obtain glory and, uh, and fame for ourselves, but to ascribe that fame and glory to God and to God alone. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That the good works that we do are not to achieve salvation, but good works are accompanying those who have been saved and redeemed and forgiven. There is a change and a transformation that follows a a person as they come to Christ. And so good works are not what save us, but good works are what follow from salvation. And good works is even a part of hosting our community for the Harvest Festival. Good works is those who blow down all of the uh, walkways and clean out the trash cans and spot clean the carpet and, and clean the bathrooms. These are good works. These are just examples that I'm thinking about here at the church. But there are good works that we do in Jesus' name. See, sometimes in the corporate world, we do things because the CEO is around or the manager is around or the supervisor is around. And we get off of the Facebook page and we switch it over to the other page that we're supposed to be working on. Oh, I'm sure you don't do that. Okay, good. Well, I won't use that as an example. Uh, or we look busy when that person comes around, the important person. Well, the opposite is true in the kingdom of heaven. That we should be doing things not to please men, but to please God. Not, to, not because the pastor asked us to do it, but because Jesus asked us to do it. And if Jesus asks us to do it, then we say, sir, yes, sir. We're reporting for duty. I'm in the Lord's army. What do you want me to do? It's actually the complete opposite, right? It's a different question. Lord, what do you want me to do for you, right? It's kind of like, uh, what was the president uh, that in his speech, he said, ask not what your country can do for you, right? But what you can do for your country. Well, it's kind of the same as is true of, of being a follower of Jesus. Ask not what Jesus can do for you. Oh, Jesus, do this for me. Although he desires to do things that are according to his will in your life. No, Lord, what do you want me to do for you? I'm reporting for duty. I'm your servant. I'm giving of myself to you. I'm not seeking fame and glory. I'm not doing it for any other person but for you. And that other people can be drawn to your glory and to your fame. And unfortunately what happens is that the opposite of humility, which we're talking about here, and humbleness will, which it, the opposite of that is pride. And that was causing a lot of disunity among the disciples. And anytime there's pride, that is going to disrupt unity, but it's also going to destroy humility. And that was, was happening with the disciples. Oh, these two guys. And we start to look and point fingers at people. Well, they're wanting to be in a position of authority. And there's alliances that form. And there's, uh, there's you know, these types of uh, divisions that take place. And we start to point the finger at other people. That person doesn't deserve that, that position. Or that person, don't you know what that person did? And we start to point the finger at other people. And there's no longer unity and harmony. And that's all because we're seeking pride and fame for ourselves. And Jesus says, that's the world system. And it's really hard and very difficult to break free of that system because we've been in it from birth. And it's, we're clothed in it in the flesh. And Jesus is saying, we need to crucify the flesh. We need to die to ourselves. We need to pick up our cross daily and follow him and take on the form of a servant. Because if humbleness, basically what we're talking about is humility, which is modeled in Jesus. 
And the question is, how does God measure success? Well, if humbleness and humility is beneath us, that, oh, we're, we're above that, then greatness is beyond us. A life of greatness in, in God's eyes is completely beyond us. We've missed the mark. We've missed the purpose. We've missed the significance. Now, we can do wonderful things for Jesus as a carpenter. We can do wonderful things for Jesus as a firefighter. We can do wonderful things for Jesus as a stay-at-home mom. We can do wonderful things for Jesus in, in our small business. And wherever we're at, whatever God has called us to, we don't need to be in, quote, full-time ministry or on a position, staff position at church. But we can recognize that wherever we're at, we can serve the Lord Jesus Christ as well as have a heart of compassion for other people because the life of significance that you and I get is based on the level of service that we give. It's a complete opposite. How are we giving? There's a level of service, and we give in many different ways. And I couldn't be more proud of our church, not only during this time of Harvest Festival, which there's a lot of activity and a lot of need. And so many people across our church are serving in many different ways. And a lot of times we don't even see them. But it doesn't take an event here at the church for those types of acts of service to be happening on a weekly basis on a daily basis. But I guess maybe the challenge or encouragement for us is, do I need to redefine success? Or do I have priorities in my life that are off when it comes to what Jesus said really brings significance to life and really is a level of success in God's eyes? Maybe there are some things that we need to let go of. Maybe there are some priorities that we need to reshuffle. Maybe, some, maybe there are some things that we, that we feel and sense God is calling us to double down on and to reinvest in and to give towards and to see God work in our lives because therein lies success in God's eyes. And this is really modeled through Jesus and given to us through his sacrifice on the cross. But the story continues, and we'll just end with this because Jesus encounters yet another man who is in need. Look at verse 46. Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, everyone say cry out. So this is urgency. This man, when he, obviously he can't see Jesus, but he heard all the commotion and he heard through the crowd that this was Jesus. And we, when he heard that Jesus was close, he cried out to Jesus. And that's remarkable because the Bible says that God is close to those who have a broken and contrite spirit. That God inclines his ears to those who are in need. And, and the Bible also says that God is not too far that his arm cannot save and cannot deliver. So his promises are that he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. Uh, in fact, that's what the incarnation is. God with us. The beautiful promise that Jesus is with us always. So when you sense and you know and you believe that Jesus is near, that's the best time to cry out to him. Oh, Lord Jesus, I need you. And notice how he cries out. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now the disciples said, teacher, here 
This man says, son of David, which was a messianic title. He recognized that Jesus was God, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the promised Messiah in the Old Testament. Son of David, have mercy on me. And then many warned him to be quiet. Now the Gospel of Matthew says the disciples warned this man, keep quiet, don't open your mouth. You're bothering Jesus. Sometimes we think that our issue is bothering Jesus. Or sometimes people say to you, oh, that whole religious thing or that, that whole Jesus thing or that whole praying thing, it's useless, it's pointless. God doesn't hear. Why don't you just keep quiet? And sometimes we fall victim to those lies. But this man was not. And this is a great example of one who was persistent when he knows that Jesus is near and he doesn't care what other people hear as long as Jesus hears his cries. And so they said, keep quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still. Everyone say stood still. This is remarkable. There's only a couple instances in the scriptures that say that Jesus stopped in his tracks and it was when somebody who was in need cried out to him by faith. There is a way to stop Jesus in his tracks, and that is calling out to him, I need you, I trust you, and is responding to him by faith. He stood still, he commanded the man to be called, and he came. Be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, question number two, same question, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. And then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. This is a, um, a, a stopping point in the story of Jesus because beginning in chapter 11, we are entering into Jesus' last week on earth. It's his passion week. So we're going to see the triumphal entry. He's going to share parables. He's going to talk about end times. He's going to be, be betrayed. He's going to spend uh, time with his disciples uh, in the upper room celebrating the last Passover feast. And so we see here this man being healed. A blind man brings this petition of healing to Jesus. He cries out. And as I said earlier, God hears our cries. Raise them to him. Raise your pleas to Jesus when you know he's here, when you see him passing by. And don't let anything keep you from coming to him. And this is a great place and a great opportunity to do that. In just a few minutes, we're going to sing a song. We're going to put our attention back on him through worship. And there is a moment that we have, a quiet moment, because the rest of the week that's coming, it's going to be very busy. you got a lot of stress and you have a lot of pressure that's coming. I'm sorry to remind you about that. You, you actually forgot about it for a little bit. But it's waiting for you when you get out those doors, when you get into the car, when you get on the freeway, when you go into work or into school. It's waiting for you. But now is an opportunity to recharge the batteries, to lay those burdens down to him, to cry out to Jesus. But the beautiful thing is you don't have to do it at Quest Church. You don't have to do it in a sanctuary. You can do it wherever you're at because when you cry out to Jesus, he stops. He hears. He sits down in the middle of the pain. He gets down into the messy dirtiness of life and he touches your life because you and I can always bother Jesus with what's bothering us. And I say that lightly because you're never going to bother Jesus in the sense of being bothered that we would define it. You're never going to bother Jesus. He's never going to say, you again? Oh, come on. 
haven't you handled this already? Right? He's never going to say that. He's always got the open door policy. He's a loving, good, heavenly father. You're never going to bother him. But there's always going to be something bothering you. It's just human life. And the beautiful thing is that we can take those things that are bothering us and irritating us and agitating us and causing us discomfort and pain, maybe physically, like this blind man, maybe spiritually, that's under the surface, maybe emotionally, maybe relationally, whatever it is, take those things to him. He'll pick them up and he'll soothe and mend those things that are bothering you and I because the desperate cries for help will always be heard by the compassionate healer, Jesus Christ, who loves you. Are you following this chapter as we enter into Jesus' last week on earth? He predicts the purpose of his coming. He highlights the significance of his sacrifice, the payment he is going to make in order to redeem and forgive us, which is the perfect example and picture of the life of service and sacrifice that Jesus is calling all of his followers to lay down and live for him in a way that looks for opportunities to minister to other people as we just acknowledge, God, it's not me. I want to bring you the glory, you the honor, you the fame, you the praise in whatever happens through my life. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for this reminder. But we also acknowledge this is very difficult to do. It might be easy to stand up on a stage and to read and to preach it. But Lord, it is so infinitely more difficult to live it and to apply it. And we pray collectively, I myself, a part of this same prayer, that you would forgive us of any pride or arrogance that we may have in our lives. And you would give us a heart of humility and service and sacrifice, whatever that looks like, whatever that looks like, God. And we pray for that to that lifestyle of service to be unleashed in and through us and maybe a starting point could be the harvest festival where there's an opportunity to plant the seed of the gospel in a child's heart or to water a seed that is in an adult heart that has grown hard over the years but now they're at church and they're talking with you as a Christ follower and you can relate to their story because you've gone through the same pain and you're having a conversation about how God healed your heart and he can do the same for them and you're just sprinkling a little bit of water on their heart and they're being refreshed by you well it's by the Lord through you Lord help us to see and look for opportunities like this practical ways to meet the needs of others And Lord, I also pray, just in closing, if there's anybody who is desperate today, maybe whatever we talked about, it's just kind of over your head and all you need is you need Jesus to come right in the midst of your pain and you are just crying out, God, have mercy on my soul. I'm here to tell you that his mercy is new every morning. It will never run out. It's pouring over your heart right now. It's washing away all the gunk and the goop and the pain. It's refreshing and reviving you. Let him do that. Let him do that as the instruments just play and and begin to refresh and 
Encourage your heart. You're spending time with the one who loves you. He loves you. Talk with him. Cry out to him. Receive his compassion and his mercy. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.